This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, former player, coach, and Nuggets legend Dan Issel on the Nuggets' success. But I'm happiest for the fans of Denver. They've supported this franchise for a long, long time. The Joker. He just has an amazing feel for what he has to do to have the team be successful. Also, the Live Golf Tournament merges with the PGA. Taking money from Saudi Arabia. How do I feel about this? Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is show number 205. Glad, as always, that you are along with us. Excited to talk to uh, Dan Issel. I think you're going to... uh laugh a little bit and uh, reminisce a little bit. Naturally, we're going to talk quite a bit about the uh, Nuggets and where they are in the postseason currently. As we tape this on a Wednesday afternoon, we'll talk Jokic. We'll also flash back and talk about some of the teams he coached and go back to his days playing at Kentucky. So uh, a lot to do with Dan Issel. As I said, we'll get to that momentarily. So we began again on Wednesday afternoon. In several hours, the Nuggets will take on the Miami Heat in Game 3. Game 2, they got a wake-up call. They lost Game 2, as we all know, and it's the first home playoff game they've lost all year. Number one, let me cut to the chase here. They are a better basketball team, man-for-man, and depth-wise than the Miami Heat. That does not guarantee you anything. You're well aware of that. Probably not the worst thing in the world that they lost because I didn't think they played great in game one and ended up winning that basketball game. I especially didn't think they played well in the fourth quarter. They naturally did not play well at all in the fourth quarter in game two. It was more than that. It was just defensive lapses and poor communication on switches, which left Miami wide open for threes. And in the postseason, in contrast to how they shot it in the regular season, because they were not a great three-point shooting team during the regular season, but in the postseason, they have been an outstanding three-point shooting team. And the three is what people live and die by. And Miami shot the lights out because they had a lot of open threes and they won the basketball game, as you well know. How do the Nuggets respond? Mike Malone talked about urgency. He talked about effort. Um, It seemed to be thinly veiled, but fingers pointing at the young and gifted Michael Porter Jr., not allowing his lack of production offensively to leak into his defense. But again, a lot of it came down to communication. Give Miami credit. They run um, some interesting patterns and actions that do cause mistakes defensively. But again, cutting to the chase, the Nuggets are the superior team. Jokic is the best player on the planet right now, which makes him the best player in this series. Jamal Murray in the postseason typically has been a superstar. He needs to look for his shot more. It's interesting that the Joker, in the two games where he has gone off offensively, where he scored 50-plus in a game in the playoffs and then 41 in game two, the Nuggets lost. You need the triple-double from Joker where it's 25 to 30 points or so and 14 rebounds and 13 assists. That type of balance sheet is when the Nuggets are most successful. Because if the assists are up, it means guys are hitting shots. Guys are being found where they're open in a shooting pocket, and boom, they hit shots. That did not happen, as you know, in game two. He had just four assists. I think there was only nine opportunities, four assists. They track everything in this analytical age that we live in. That has to change in Game 2. And Jamal Murray didn't shoot it poorly in Game 2. That has to change in Game 3, I should say, and going forward. But but Jamal needs to take more than 15 shots or whatever it was. So we'll see how it plays out uh, a little bit uh, later on. But the Nuggets are the better team, and the Nuggets should win this series. If they do not, it's on them. It's not, oh, well, they ran into a superior team. Not the case. Hey, big hats off, though, to Jimmy Butler. Um, 
you have to appreciate Jimmy Butler. What he brings in the postseason, his leadership on the floor, his I will do whatever it takes to win, whether it's score from mid-range, whether it's to find open guys, uh, the tenacious defense he plays, the leadership he provides. I love his post-game commentary. Big fan of Jimmy Butler. Just don't want to see him win this uh, series, naturally. On to golf. That's right, golf. No major taking place, but major news in the world of golf. You heard it uh, on Tuesday this week where the PGA and Liv and the old European Tour, they're all joining forces and taking the money from Saudi Arabia. How do I feel about this? Well, I'm still trying to unpack and understand, quite frankly, what has transpired. To simplify it, and the easiest way to simplify any business transaction is follow the money. It's always about the money. Cliché, yes. Fact, yes. Why did some of those players on the PGA Tours, the Dustin Johnsons, the DeChambeaus, the Phil Mickelsons, why did they defect to live originally? Because they were given phenomenal sums of money. Did it look unsavory because of where the money was coming from? Yes, but, and there's always a but, the U.S. government does business with the Saudis. I feel bad. Bad's the wrong term because I'm going to reference guys who are incredibly wealthy because they've earned it. Guys like Rory McIlroy, guys like Tiger Woods, um, guys like Ricky Fowler, who turned down phenomenal, I mean, phenomenal sums of guaranteed money to go play on the Live Tour. And they honored their commitment and were outspoken, especially in the case of Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods, to the PGA Tour and its commissioner, Jay Monahan. Tiger turned down a reported $800 million. And again, no one's going to feel sorry for Tiger Woods. He's a billionaire. No one's going to feel sorry for Rory McIlroy, who is extremely wealthy, as we just said. But they did everything in their power to support the PGA Tour, and then without any knowledge, they wake up either to a phone call, literally minutes before it was going to be announced in the case of Rory McIlroy, or for most of the tour, a tweet. There was a meeting between Jay Monahan and the players at the Canadian Open before that got going, and it was tense from all indications. What does it mean to the fan? Well, the fan is going to get all of the great golfers playing in the majors. But that's been the case the last couple of majors. The Masters featured Brooks Kepka, who was in contention and almost won the Masters. And you know he just won the PGA. So they were getting that. I think eventually it helps out the next level of tournament. Arnold Palmer's Bay Hill, Muirfield and Jack's uh, tournament, that, that next level of golf tournament that always had great fields. And those fields were diminished because guys like Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau uh, and Dustin Johnson were not playing in it. And we don't know when they'll be available to play in it again because they can, quote unquote, reapply for membership. Rory McIlroy is on record as saying, that shouldn't just be a fate to complete. That's not right. There's got to be a process. So I don't know. Do they have to sit out for three years? I still don't understand, other than money and enough of it seems to bend the minds of, of really all of us, right? And push decisions where you never thought a decision uh, would go. The Live Golf Tour, I've never even seen an event. They don't really have carriage. I don't know how much interest they were drawing. And for me, especially without Tiger on tour, and I love golf, and I'm a big fan of Rory McIlroy. There's some guys you really root for. Um, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, you know, real likable guys, Tony Finau. 
I was able to watch those guys, but I, I was focused more on the majors. And I think most golf fans are. You know, you, if you're watching week to week, you know, the fields are a little bit diminished. So this will be better ultimately with the events. I know that Jay Monahan mentioned the team concept. They like that. They're going to take that from live, and uh, that's going to be a part of the future, though I think they're still, you know, scratching it out on uh, on a napkin somewhere as we speak. Seems like this was somewhat hastily put together to avoid further lawyer fees and litigation. But team golf, that doesn't do anything. The only time team golf does something for me is in the Ryder Cup, and it's Team USA versus the Europeans, then I'm in. Team golf, like there's going to be a pair. It's going to be Mickelson and DeChambeau versus Justin Thomas and Rory McIlroy. I like the made-for-TV version where it's like Brady and Charles Barkley and you know fun characters outside of the golf world. Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey. I'm in on that, especially when guys have a sense of humor. That's fun. But the team golf thing, I don't know. I'm still, as I said earlier, trying to unpack this, as are you. Um, but, uh, you know, Jay Monahan, and now he's going to be commissioner of this. Um, that's, that's a strange one because the commissioner in sports supposedly is working for the owners. Like in baseball, Rob Manford works for the owners. Roger Goodell works for the owners in the NFL. Gary Bettman works for the owners in the NHL. Jay Monahan worked for the players. They're their own entities. And yet they were oblivious to what was going on. And you take that, you know, that next level of golfer like a Ricky Fowler, who I mentioned earlier. I guarantee you Ricky Fowler was was offered millions and millions of dollars to jump ship to live. Does he ever get any of that? money back and now he just has to jump into a pool and play with the live guys and they and they got to uh you know butter their toast on both sides i don't know strange still trying to understand it uh fully all right the uh the rockies very quickly they had a rough week on the road they were in arizona and then uh they played in kansas city one two of three there back home this week as you know taking on a giant team that's been uh, somewhat surprising banged up a little bit but uh, uh they've been solid as they typically are, and then the Padres come in, who've been a, a huge disappointment. One thing I took away from that road trip and watching Arizona play, fun, fun team. And they're right there, neck and neck at the top of the division with the Dodgers. Maybe ahead of most people's pace in terms of a young team and when they would contend. You never know in sports, and you especially never know in baseball, but they're a fun team to watch because they can really run. Corbin Carroll... What a fantastic rookie year he's having. Hits the ball over the wall. He runs like the wind. He plays a terrific uh, outfield, whether he's in center or one of the corner spots. And and the guy weighs like 175 pounds. He's like five nine and a half. Terrific player. They have other guys that can really run. And I think as the Rockies evolve and they get some more guys like Brenton Doyle that can impact the game in more than one way, um, that'll be exciting, but it was fun to watch uh, Arizona play last week and and hopefully peek a little bit into the future of the Rockies uh, with some of the young guys we've talked about of late. All right, want to get you back to the Nuggets. I uh, want to get you back to um, the opportunity for Denver to host another parade, and I thought a great guest this week would be the Hall of Famer, the former Nugget, the former ABA star, the former Kentucky star, still the all-time leading scorer at the University of Kentucky, former Nugget coach, former Nugget general manager, and a guy who is all in on this uh, current edition of the Nuggets, the horse, Dan Issel. Dan, it's, it's been a while, and first of all, um, you, you've made time between Kentucky and Colorado and back and forth. Back in Colorado full-time? Back in Colorado full-time, I was involved uh, in a group trying to get an NBA team to Louisville, and uh, we kind of ran out of steam around COVID, and uh, the kids and the grandkids are all here. So about a year ago, we moved back to uh, back to Denver full-time. 
But you got ties to Louisville still. I understand uh, last, uh, I don't know, significant period of time you've been doing a radio show. Yeah, yeah. And uh, as you know, the technology, Drew, is just unbelievable. I, I only It's only two hours a day, uh, 8 to 10 Denver time. But with the technology, it sounds like I'm in the studio in Louisville. So uh, I, I enjoy it. Uh, it's, it. It's a lot of fun. Of course, most of our conversation is about the U.K. and U of L. But uh, talk about the NBA and uh, a, a lot of other things, typical sports talk show. So it, it's a good time. I, I don't know if I'd want to do more than two hours, but <laughs> that's that's perfect. Well, having, as you know, having done it in the past, I would say two hours is the perfect amount of time because there are many days, as you are well aware, where there's nothing uh, real sexy going on. (laughs) We call that summer radio. (laughs) Summer radio. Dan, you still in the ponies at all? Is still uh, hold interest for you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, In fact, my son and I have a little partnership and, uh, and uh, did uh, it, it doesn't always work as well, but we sold a couple of horses in February and did did really well. Uh, it's uh, it, we try not to race any. Uh, that's the uh, that's the even more <laughs> scary part of the horse business. We're mostly into the breeding and and selling of yearlings, but uh, yeah, that uh, I, I think I'll I'll dabble in that uh, for the rest of my life, Drew. Yeah, so I was just having this conversation recently, and it's kind of a typical one of people like you and I that, you know, you obviously played forever, Hall of Fame career, but, you know, been involved in sports, and it's kind of like the sports bucket list, and I have never been to the Kentucky Derby. Now, I know that's got to hold a special place for you. Of all the great sporting events you've either been involved with as an athlete or as a coach or just as a fan where's the kentucky derby for you number one okay. <laughs> i've been i've been to uh i've been to nba finals i've been to world series i've been to uh super bowls i've been to stanley cups uh but if you gave me a choice uh i i would pick churchill downs in the kentucky derby i i went to my first one in in 1968 and i've never counted but uh i'm gonna guess i've been to 30 or 35 derbies it's uh it's still the number one for me that's what i've heard i've got to do that and dan i think i know the answer to this because i'm sure i asked you back when i used to see you on almost a daily basis when when we were both involved with the nuggets when you were growing up in batavia illinois did you have any interest in the horses did that all come about when you were at uk yeah no it's you know, I, I grew up uh, when I was uh, in elementary school, I grew up on a dairy farm. And so I've always uh, enjoyed the agriculture and the, and the farm part of it. But, uh, no, had had no interest in the thoroughbreds till I went to Kentucky. And uh, uh, they, uh, on my recruiting tip, trip, took me to uh, a couple of uh, horse farms, Calumet, probably the most famous one. And uh, I, I was just enamored with uh, – with the thoroughbred business and uh, and and have loved it ever since. In fact, I tell people when I signed my first professional basketball contract, uh, the first thing I bought wasn't a wasn't a house, it wasn't a car, it was a it was a racehorse. So uh, I've been I've been involved with it for a long long time. See, if NIL was around back then, you could have had a stable of horses when you were uh, leading Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, that. Uh, uh, that that thing's unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, I I know some of the numbers out there are just uh, astronomical. I don't know, you know, how you would ever prove what the numbers are because they keep that all so secret. But supposedly, Oscar Sheboy last year at the University of Kentucky uh, made about three three and a half million dollars in in NIL money. So yeah, that. I, I I I've missed a lot of things, Drew. I miss I miss the high salaries in the NBA. I miss the NIL, but uh, uh, it's all worked out just fine. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's funny. Real quick on that subject, Dan. I'm sure you saw this or read this or talked about it on your show. Drew Timmy, who was kind of you know he's one of those tweeners in the NBA, great college player at, at Gonzaga. He was up front. 
He said, I'm not going to put my name in the NBA draft because I, I figure I'm going to be a two-way guy between the G League. He goes, I'm going to take uh, my NIL money, which was close to seven figures, and stay at Gonzaga. Yeah, yeah, no, and and I was surprised uh, that, especially given that Kentucky uh, lost a lot of veterans, I was surprised that uh, Oscar uh, Shibway stayed in the draft this year because uh, he could have gone back to Kentucky and made – a lot more money than he's going to make, uh, you know, playing in the G League or wherever he winds up. Yeah, it's, it's it really is pretty crazy. Um, I want to take you back real quick, though, to Batavia. So you grew up uh, next door neighbors or backyards adjoined with, with the great Kenny Anderson, who went on to a phenomenal uh, NFL career. I know he went to a, a, a small school. I think he went to Augustana. At any point in time growing up, did you guys talk about, hey, yeah, you know, I think it's some that we're going to be professional athletes? Was it, was it more on your radar because of how well you did? No, I, I that uh, you know that that was that was something we didn't even dare to dream about. I mean, Kenny Kenny went to, as you said, that you're right, Augustana College on a uh, partial academic, partial basketball scholarship. Uh, he didn't start for the high school team in Batavia till his senior year. Uh, and, uh, and, and I was not much of an athlete until maybe my junior year at, uh, at high school. Uh, and so, no, that was, uh, that, that was something we didn't even dare dream about. We were, I think we were both late bloomers, Drew. Well, you know what? It's better to be a late bloomer than uh, never to have bloomed at all, I suppose. <laughs> So uh, how much excitement are you drawing from your old franchise that you played for, that you coached, that you were the GM for being in the NBA Finals? Yeah, it's it's terrific. I mean, I uh, I have nothing to do uh with the current with the current team, but I I don't think you can be involved in an organization as long as I was uh and not feel some sense of pride, even some sense of ownership, and I'm very happy. Michael Malone has has been terrific to me, and and talking with Lisa Johnson, I understand all of the players are are just really good people. So I'm happy for them, but I'm happiest for the fans of of Denver. I mean, they, they've supported supported this franchise for a long, long time. Uh, maybe even when we didn't put a product on the floor that was that was worth supporting and so uh for them for them to finally get a chance for the team to to participate in the uh, in the NBA finals I, I i think it's terrific yeah i think in my 10 year run and some of them were doing games with you uh, my one loss record as a broadcaster not real strong <laughs> yeah. no there were some there were some lean years for sure yeah, um, I you know just to reminisce for a moment. Did you see? I understand Fonz was in town. I've been traveling with the Rockies naturally, so I haven't I haven't been there. But I understand Lafonso was in town. Do you look back when when you you got Lafonso, you got Brian Stith, and it felt like Dan, you were really building something. And then of course, I always it's not fair to attribute it to one thing, but when, when Lafonso had that very strange knee injury that. That derailed what I think would could have been a really special career. Do, do you reminisce at all about that ever? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think I think about it all the time. I, uh, you know, the fact that we were a first eight seed to upset a number one seed, and then a lot of people don't talk about this, Drew. But the next series, we were down to Utah, oh uh, three. That uh, you know, the great Stockton Malone Hornacek teams. Uh, and, and we were until, until the Heat did it against, um, uh, against, uh, the Celtics, uh, we were one of, one of four teams that were ever down 0-3 in the history of the NBA playoffs, <laughs> excuse me, to force a game seven. And so that was a really special team. And, and it just shows you how, how delicate the chemistry is in a locker room. I mean, we had a Fonz tears up his knee, uh, Mahmoud, uh, because of, of his, uh, religion, uh, you know, started really, uh, not taking good care of himself. And, 
uh, it, just a few minor changes, and that team went from a promising, perhaps championship team someday, uh, to being a 500 basketball team. So um, I, I think about it all the time. Had we kept that team intact, and they would have kept uh, the same focus on on how hard they played that that year. That w- that could have been a really special situation. Do you keep in touch with any of of those guys or run into them on occasion? Uh, I, I I stay closest to uh, Fawn. Sherry and I are our godparents to one of Fawn's and and Jen's uh, children, and uh, we text back and forth all the time. And we uh, uh, and and I text with the Kembe on occasion. I would say those those two are the are the two that I uh, that I have stayed closest with. You brought up Mahmoud, and the game has changed quite a bit, you know, from 25, 30 years ago, Dan. And I and I think about the three-pointer, and I think about Steph Curry, who is going to go down as maybe the greatest shooter of all time. And for me, and I'd be more interested to get your insight, Dan, Mahmoud was, from, was, it was in a lot of ways – Steph Curry before Steph Curry, you could not guard him, and he could shoot his conventional jump shot from anywhere, literally out to half court for a guy that weighed 155 pounds. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, you, you just hit on something. When uh, when I first became the coach of the Nuggets, uh, somebody had told Mahmoud that he was, when he was at LSU, that he was way too light and, and that he'd have to gain some weight. And he came in here his rookie year with, with Denver and was 20, 25 pounds overweight and, and had just an awful rookie season. And when we took over, the first thing we did was get him in shape, uh, get him back to his college playing weight, which, as you said, was 155, 160 pounds. But he could, he could really shoot. I mean, he was and, – and didn't need that much room to, to get it off. And, and so he uh, – you know, he was one of the keys uh, to uh, to the success uh, that that team had. Yeah, it's um, when I think back to how quickly he could get a shot off and how effortless it was and that he was so quick. Uh, and now to today's game where you'd say, hey, Mahmoud, take, if you don't take 10 threes a game, uh, you know, you're going to be in the doghouse. He just scored a lot of points. There's no question. Yeah, and and the way the game is officiated today, I mean, you can't you can't put your hands on anybody, uh, and, and so you know that was. I remember in that in that Seattle series where we upset them, uh, you know, they had the glove, uh, and, and so he he got very physical with Mahmoud, and uh, to the point where you know Peyton had completely took him out of his game. And we, we had to put Robert Pack in because, you know, Robert wouldn't back down from anybody. But if, if the game was officiated then, like it is today, Mahmoud would have been even a better player. Right, right, because he never missed a free throw. I mean, he literally literally never missed a free throw. (laughs) Kind of crazy. There's so, speaking of LSU and prolific scores, you overlapped when you were in the SEC, Dan, with the with the late great Pistol Pete. What kind of NBA player would he be today, and where does he rank in terms of skill of all the guys you've either played with, coached, or watched in the last, you know, fifty years. Yeah, I, I, I he uh, drew is the best ball handler and passer that I that I've ever seen. I mean, bar none. I mean, you put Magic or whoever you want to put in that category. He was he was fantastic, and that's why you know we uh, our philosophy was we guarded Pete straight up and made sure nobody else on the team beat us. And in the six games that we played head-to-head, because we were contemporaries, uh, the six games we played head-to-head, Pete averaged 52 points a game, had had, six, had 64 one game. And the closest they ever came to beating us in those six games was nine points. Uh, other coaches would, you know, try to come up with ways to stop them but he was so clever with the basketball, you could run three guys at him and still get a shot off. 
he wasn't, I mean, he was an unbelievable scorer, obviously. He wasn't a great shooter. Uh, he was more of a, a, of a quantity shooter than a quality shooter. But, uh, if, if Pete had the three point line, I mean, there's no telling how many points he, he would have averaged. But, uh, uh, he was, uh, he, he was, as I said, he was the best ball handler and passer I've ever seen. Wow. True or false? Did this, did this actually ever happen, Dan? Your first year at Kentucky, Adolph Rupp, you're on the floor, but, but your teammates are not sharing the ball with you. And, and Adolph Rupp called timeout and he said, I want to introduce you to Dan Issel. He's going to be the all time leading scorer here. So you may want to hand him the ball occasionally. Did that happen? Yeah. Yeah. It, it happened at a different time though. It, it actually happened after I had become the all time leading scorer. We were, we were in the regionals and we were playing Notre Dame. Uh, and they had Austin Carr, who was another fabulous player. And the first five minutes of the game, I don't think I touched the ball. And Notre Dame had a, had a nice lead. And that's when Coach Rupp called a timeout. Uh, and uh, he was a little more forceful than that, Drew. He, <laughs> he, he said, this is the all-time leading scorer at the University of Kentucky. Now pass him the damn basketball. <laughs> More with Drew and Dan Issel right after this. Boyer's Coffee, simply great. The legendary Rocky Mountain Roaster. It has been brewed smooth in our area since 1965. They have a national reputation for outstanding coffee, and you can get it delivered right to your door like I do. It comes within a couple of days, just a couple of clicks when you go to boyerscoffee.com. And they have uh, some of the many flavors I'm sure you've heard of, Aspen Gold, Rocky Mountain Thunder. And then they have the special flavors like chocolate mousse, coconut cream. Doesn't matter what time of day, it's going to make you want to have a cup of coffee. As I've told you many times, I'm a K-Cup guy. They have plenty of those as well. If you have not, if you're one of those rare people in our region that has never had Boyer's Coffee, you're missing out. So go now to boyerscoffee.com and order up uh, some of your favorite flavors and uh, some perhaps that you have not tried yet. You'll be a believer very quickly. Again, it's boyerscoffee.com. Jump on in. They've been brewed in the Rocky Mountains since 1965. Simply outstanding. Speaking of simply outstanding, how about my friends at Steel, S-T-I-H-L, steeldealers.com, steelusa.com. The number of products that they have that can help you out is amazing. Okay, let me give you an idea why they're the best in the business. They have chainsaws, they have hedge trimmers, they have pole pruners. Yeah, how many times do you, you try to get a branch down or, or, or prune something way over your head? And you don't want to take out a ladder. That could be too dangerous. They have pole pruners. They have gardening tools, forestry tools, cutoff machines, concrete cutters if you want to get really ambitious. If it comes to mowing and planting, they have trimmers, lawnmowers, zero-turn mowers, everything that can help you in that regard, edgers. And when it comes to cleaning up, I got to do it to my garage uh, this week, in fact. They have blowers, they have pressure washers, you get the picture. They have everything, absolutely everything, and they have more than 10,000 dealers around the country. So was, uh, they like to say there's one right around the corner from you. It's Steel, S-T-I-H-L, SteelDealers.com, SteelUSA.com. Now back to Drew with Dan Issel. You know, there there got to be more stories that you've forgotten through the years. Um, do you have a favorite story from when you were coaching? Um, because you have a great sense of humor, and and I and I saw all facets, you know, near and far from calling the games or the, or being around the locker room. You know, I I think of. Chopper Travellini, when you you got hurt and you got hit, you know where nobody wants to get hit as a guy, and, and kind of standing over you. Was, was that one of your favorite stories, by the way? Yeah. As a matter of fact, we had prearranged that because that that game was on national TV, and I don't remember who we were playing, uh, 
but uh, I, I, I told him, I said, I want your mom to be able to see you. And uh, yeah, I said, so I'm going to pretend like I get hurt, and you come out on the floor, and uh, then your mom will be able to see you on national TV. And so that's that's exactly what we did. And I laid on the floor till Chopper got got out there. Um, it, it, when I was coaching, Drew, this is this is my favorite story, and it just shows uh, what kind of kids we had on that team in in Lafonso and Dikembe. So we're getting ready to go. We we had uh, lost the first two games in that Seattle series. And we came home we came home and and beat Seattle in two games and now we're going back to uh going back to Seattle for game number 5. And um you know, we we flew charter. And so there were always, I mean there was just the players, the coaches the training staff, and so there were all always a ton of empty seats on the plane. And I'd had guys come and tell me, you know, I, I can I take my wife on the trip, or can I take my girlfriend on the trip? Can I take my cousin on the trip? And you know, we we cut that all out. And so we're getting ready to go to Seattle for game number five. And Fonz and Dikembe walk into my office, and they say, uh, Coach, there's somebody that I think we ought to take uh, to Seattle. And I'm thinking, oh no, here it comes. What are they, what are they going to ask for? And I said, who's that? And they said, uh, Bo Mitchell, our chaplain. And that, that just shows. And so we took Bo. Uh, I don't know if there was any uh, divine intervention on that game, but that just shows what kind of kids those kids were. Yeah, I see I see Bo on a regular basis every Sunday because he's the chaplain for the Rockies and has been for yeah, for, yeah, for a number exactly. of years. Yeah, that's yeah. that, that's that's a wild one. Dikembe's voice, uh, you know what? If he was say in Washington, Dan, he would not need to pick up a cell phone to call you in Denver. He could just bellow, and there's a chance you might hear him. Right? <laughs> he's. He's he's the best when uh, when he had his number retired uh, down at what was then Pepsi Center now Ball Arena. Uh, he was nice enough to uh, to request that I introduce him that night, and I told the crowd uh, when I first was hired by Bernie Bickerstaff uh, to be the coach. He told me you're going to love Dikembe. He said he's a he's an intelligent guy. He can he can speak seven different languages. I said, but as you're about to hear, English is not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I could hear. I, I never heard had any problem hearing what Dikembe had to say. Oh man, great! What, what, what tremendous, tremendous person, tremendous heart. All he's done and given back, and um, funny, funny. Man, I haven't seen him in a long time, but I really enjoyed uh, being around him back in the day. Um, there, there were some, there were some characters uh, certainly uh, back in that time frame uh, as well. Um, Brian Stith was a was a heck of a player, I thought, and I know he was one of your favorites that uh, that played for you. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, Cap played uh, played at Virginia, and he too. Uh, that year following, uh, had some injury problems, uh, with an ankle. And, uh, what, one of the biggest mistakes I made as a general manager was when I, I traded Brian and Chris Heron, uh, to the Celtics for Ron Mercer. Uh, that's, uh, I, two, two guys that I really love, uh, and, uh, for the sake, I thought for the sake of the basketball team, thought that they had to be included in the trade and and that trade was disastrous because Ron Mercer came in here and and thought he was going to get a huge contract and uh, and we had no intentions of doing that he was going to be a free agent and uh, and when he found out we weren't going to sign him to a big extension he was he was awful he was awful on the floor he was awful in the locker room uh, that that's one of my biggest regrets was was including Chris Heron and Brian Stiff in that trade. Okay, you just reminded me, Dan. You literally just reminded me of one of my, um, I, don't, I don't want to call it favorite, but one of the more interesting NBA stories I have. So the Nuggets are down in Orlando, and I think you now know where I'm going. Ron Mercer 
had been traded, you traded him based on everything you just said. George McLeod is a nugget and the game ends and there's usually about 45 minutes before we get on the bus and and go to the plane, you know, private terminal and go wherever we were going. We were going back to Denver. Todd Lichty was my partner, Dan, and we would either go in the training room or sometimes we'd just go in like the media area and just kind of wait till it was about time to get on the bus. Well, somebody comes in the media room that night and says, hey, man, there was a big fight outside the Nugget locker room. I think it was George McLeod and Ron Mercer. And so we grab our stuff and we walk down toward the locker room. And now we're at the loading dock and there's police everywhere and we can't find the bus. And I asked somebody, hey, do you know where the Nugget bus is? They said, oh, they got the hell out of here after the fight. And and Todd and I are looking at each other going, shit, how the hell are we going to get to the plane? We, it's not like you can just go to take a cab to the airport, as you know, right? We have no idea where the where private terminal is. Do you know who took us out there that night, Dan? It, it, it was Doc Rivers. Doc was coaching Orlando, as you know, back then. And, and Doc is... Uh, for me, you know, one of the one of the greats, such a, a terrific guy. He said, "Jump in my car, I'll take you out there." And that's how we got to the plane. What were your recollections of the aftermath of that game down in Orlando? Yeah, well, uh, George uh, George knew, you know, what what a pain in the rear that uh, that Mercer had been. Uh, and I think Ron said something to him, or maybe George said something to him, and, and George was just going to kick his butt. And uh, so there was some pushing and shoving, and the reason, and, and I think Chopper was involved with it as well. And so that's why we got everybody on the bus and got the heck out of there, because we didn't want it to escalate, or we didn't want any of our people uh, to, to be, you know, uh, associated with with something that was going on there. So we quickly got everybody on the bus and got out of there. But if if they hadn't if they hadn't broken up, George McLeod would have killed Ron Mercer. Yeah, I yeah I I definitely recollect that. And uh, I told I dropped Doc Rivers a note. This was before. Uh, you know, cell phones probably. I said, Doc, um, even though I didn't have a vote, I said, you have my vote for uh, for coach of the year uh, this year because Orlando uh, Orlando was doing pretty well back then. All right. That would have been a big ticket, Drew, if you would have had to, <laughs> had to go to the airport, uh, airport and fly a commercial back to Denver. Yeah, what you, I know. It wasn't like we were going down to Miami to play the Heat after that. We were going all the way back to Denver and um, – I remember asking a couple of uh, cops if they knew where it was and if they could drive us out. He goes, I ordinarily would. He said, but we got to fill out like a police report for the altercation that took place. So, <laughs> yeah, that, that was the, that was the good old days. OK, so so this this fella by the name of Jokic, when did he first jump on your radar? And you said, this dude is different. Well, you know, I. It wasn't immediately uh, because, you know, he's he's a second-round pick. He's the 40, 41st pick in the draft, and you figure, well, you know, he, he might be an okay player. He might be able to fill out a roster. You usually don't get the best player in the league with the 41st pick in the draft. But uh, but the more you watched him, and, and he just has a great feel for the game. And, and his, his peripheral vision must be unbelievable because he sees the entire court. Uh, sometimes even people behind him for crying out loud. And so, uh, it, it didn't take long. I mean, once, once you took the time to study him and, and remember, uh, what was the guy's name? Nurkic or we had a guy named Nurkic. Yeah. Yeah. Nurkic. Yeah. Yeah. That was about, about the same. And, you know, they knew they couldn't play both of them, so I think they they wound up trading Nurkic to, to Portland. But uh, after he left and then and then Joker started getting the majority of the playing time, you could just see him getting better and better and better. And uh, I've never seen – I mean, the closest I've ever seen, Drew, uh, is Bill Walton being the – you know, the, be able to score – 
to rebound, to, to pass the basketball out of the low post or even out of the high post. Uh, he comes the closest to any, to anybody I've ever seen, but, but even he, uh, can't do some of the things or couldn't do some of the things that, that Jokic does. He's just phenomenal. It, when I watch him play, and I've said this, uh, you know, here on, on this podcast and other folks, I, I said, I, he never, Dan, he never has a subpar game. He either has a great game or he has a really, really good game. And there are there, literally you never see he's, he's four for 15 from the floor and he had only six rebounds and five assists. He doesn't have games like that, which which to me, as you move forward, as we tape this, you know, the Nuggets in, uh, play game three tonight in Miami and it's one one to me, it, it falls more on the the next group of guys and maybe Jamal Murray, number one. Put your coach's hat back on. How do you look at not only Game Three but the rest of this series? Given the fact that Miami did what they did in Game Two, yeah. Well, um, and you're right about about Joker. He uh, and he plays all the time. I, I know he missed a few games down the stretch because uh, their their number one seed was pretty well cemented. But, uh, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't miss games. He's, he's out there at playing well all the time. And I think what happened in game number two, Drew, was he realized that he wasn't getting much help out there. And, and you know, and, and at that point he said, well, if we're going to win this game, I've got to score a bunch of points. And, and that's what he did. But you go back to game number one, and he takes one shot in the first quarter Three shots in the first half. He just has an amazing feel for what he has to do to have the team be successful. And, and that's why he's so good. Not, not because he's a great player, but that he's so unselfish and he'll do whatever he has to do to have the team win. I, I think, uh, you, you know, you mentioned Jamal and Jamal had a below average game in game two, but I'm not worried about him, but some of these other guys, you know what Jamal's going to give you. You know what Joker's going to give you. On the other side, you know what Jimmy Butler's going to give you. You know what Bam Adebayo's going to give you. To me, Michael Porter Jr. has to be the fifth best player on the floor if the, if the Nuggets are going to win. I mean, he gets compensated like that, and that might be too much pressure to put on him, but it, it's a fact that he was awful in game two wasn't much better in game one. And if the Nuggets are going to win this series, Joker and Jamal have to get some help. And I, and I think it has to come from him. Yeah, he, he's a, he's an interesting guy because he's 6'10 and he can shoot it. Uh, to me, what the most alarming thing was, Dan, was the miscommunication on a multitude of of switches that left – Miami players wide open, and in this day and age, there's a, a plethora of guys on every roster that can knock down open threes. W- was that how you saw it as well? Yeah, no, no question about it. If uh, I, I went back and looked at it, at the game a second time, and you're absolutely right, there was there was no communication, and so many times uh, in in a pick and roll situation. Uh, two guys wound up uh, on on one guy, and as you said, the, the the other guy was was just wide open. And I'm sure that that's something that uh, that Coach Malone has showed the players, and something that they'll clean up. I, you know, much has been made about the adjustments that Miami has made. I didn't. I, I don't think it makes any difference, Drew. I mean, if if we don't don't let them shoot. 50% from the three-point line, and that's mostly because of what you said. There, A lot of those shots were just wide-open shots, uh, and, and we play offensively the way we can play. I, I don't think there's any adjustments. that uh, we're, we're still the, the better team. We're still the most talented team, and if we play our game and play with some immediacy, that this is the NBA Finals, guys. You can't take a night off. I, I think the Nuggets will be just fine. Yeah, I mean, that that's how I see it. I think the Nuggets are a better basketball team, even though they, they're playing eight, 
Coach Malone is playing basically eight guys. They're, they're deeper, and you have, you know, the Bruce Browns of the world and, you know, KCP. You have guys that, that have some salt in them, if you will. Um, not to say that Miami doesn't, but but I think the secondary players are better, if you will, for the Nuggets. And their one-two punch is, is arguably the best one-two punch in basketball. Yeah, that, yeah, there's no question. I'm a big believer in plus-minus. And if you look at, at you look at game number two, Bruce Brown and Jeff Green were both plus. In other words, you know when they're on the floor, the team outscore the other team. They were both plus double digits, and and Caldwell Pope and Michael Porter were both uh, minus double digits. And so I think you're absolutely right. I think I, I think that those three guys that come off the bench, Green. Uh, Brown and Braun, I, I think they have to play more because they, they've been playing very well. Dan, when you watch, do you watch as a player? Do you watch as a coach? Do you watch as a fan? Or is it a combination of all three? Well, I guess it's a combination of all three. I mean, you uh, you, you see things like, you know, that like double team and the guy with the basketball, and then he throws it to the guy in the corner, and, you, you know, you want to throw something at the TV. I, I guess that's as as a coach, but mostly it's just a fan. Uh, that's uh, that's what I am today, and and uh, you know I, it would be terrific if if the Nuggets can can pull this off. So it, it's uh, you know the player jumps out once in a while, the coach, but mostly a fan. If there's a parade, will you be there front and center? <laughs> I I had nothing to do with it. I don't I don't belong in the parade, but. Uh, I, I might be down there watching it. That's for sure. Yeah, that's awesome, Dan. I'll leave you with this, and, and it's it's great to catch up. It's been a while. Um, I told this story with Hastings. Hastings was on oh several weeks ago, and I don't know how we got onto this, but this was before we all stayed in five star hotels in in sports travel, and we were staying. Uh, and you were the coach back at the old Airport Hilton in Oakland playing Golden State. You remember that hotel? I do. That was the infamous hotel, that place. That was infamous for and continues to be, from what I understand, for a number of reasons um, that we that we will not delve into here. But there was a night, uh, Mike Evans, um, myself, I'm trying, Walter Davis, uh, Jerry Schimmel, we're all having a good time, shall we say. And somehow there was a fire extinguisher and there was rock, you know, we were having fun. And it was well past midnight. And in the hallway of the room that we were having this fun in, all of a sudden the door across the way opens up and you're in your boxers, Dan, and Sherry was on this trip and you had that kind of bleep-eating grin on your face because, as if to say, maybe 15 years ago, you would have been partaking. You you did not have your front teeth in, as I recall, and you said, okay, fellas, I think it's time for bed. <laughs> I remember I remember that evening very, very well because I, I had been sound asleep, and uh, when I realized who was making the noise out in the hallway? I was going to put a stop to it. Well, you, you did. Uh, that was the end, that was the end. But I'll never forget because you had that mischievous grin, as if to say, "I wish I could partake, but I know I cannot." <laughs> yeah, you're ab- you're absolutely right. I, I remember uh, I remember a few card games in Chopper's hotel room where. Uh, uh, we we saw the sun come up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we went to bed. Yeah, you know, Dan. I just remembered another one. Also, there were at one point in time, uh, you know, the team wasn't playing well, and somebody uh, above you said, "There's not going to be any more, you know, beer or alcohol on the team plane." And you were not aware of this. We were already on the plane. You got on, and I don't know if. If it was me who told you, or somebody told you, uh, Dan. By the way, there's no uh, there's no Budweiser on the plane. They said no alcohol on the plane, and you said a body. Do you remember your line? I don't. You said a body will hit the tarmac every ten minutes until we have Budweiser on the plane. 
<laughs> I remember that one. And I was like, yeah, I think we may get beers on the plane, guys. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, have, having no beer on the plane after a game, I don't think was going to make us play any better. <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, you were all over that. I thought you set a nice precedent there. The body will hit the tarmac every 10 minutes until we have beer on the plane. It's good It's good to be the boss. Hey, uh, Dan, send my absolute best to, to Sherry, and uh, uh, I look forward to hopefully the Nuggets taking care of business here, not only tonight, but over, uh, over the next several, and we get another parade downtown. It would be just awesome. It, it, it would be terrific, and I've got to get up. I haven't been out to Coors yet, so I after after this series, I need to get out and see some Rocky games. Yeah, come on out. Let let me know when you're coming out, and we'd love to have you up and uh, you know say hello to everyone, and uh, and well, let's do that, man. I'll do it. Thanks, Drew. All right, be good, Dad. Take care. All right, man. Thanks to the horse. Great to catch up with Dan. It's been a while. Used to see him at some uh, youth baseball games back in the day. But as I said, it has been a while since we were able to converse and tell old tales. And every time I talk with him, uh, I, I think of some other things that took place in a wild decade where the Nuggets lost far more than they won. And they had some characters go through there from... Great players like Dikembe. He mentioned Robert Pack. Boy, Pack was uh, was fun to watch. Mahmoud. Um, but a lot of long seasons as well. But uh, it was fun. Different era. This era of Nuggets basketball promises to be the best we have seen. And through the magic of waiting several hours to do this postscript, we now know that the Nuggets won Game 3 down in Miami in convincing fashion, 109-94. And while I was doing the Rockies game, I was keeping a, a close eye on what was transpiring down in Miami uh, throughout the commercial breaks of the Rockies games. By the way, the Rockies blew a 4-0 lead. Got a great start from Connor Siebold. He had a no-hitter going with one out in the sixth inning, but the Rockies didn't hold on uh, late and ended up losing 5-4. Uh, to four. But... The Nuggets got it done behind two triple-doubles, another 30-20-10 triple-double from Nikola Jokic. 32 points, 21 rebounds, 10 assists. And Jamal Murray, who we were just talking about in in the first part of the podcast and then with Dan, that uh, he needed to be more aggressive. Jamal Murray did. And he played like a superstar again, 34 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists. The Nuggets were plus 25 on the glass, and their communication far better on defense. They held the heat to just 37% shooting. They won the fourth quarter after losing the fourth quarter in both games, one and two. And uh, at the end of the day, it was a 15-point road victory to go up two to one. I expect, though it won't be easy, hopefully more of the same come game four because we were talking about a little while ago the nuggets are better than the heat they are better top to bottom and they showed that in this game not only do they have the best player that's unquestioned in the league they also have the second best player in the in the game with uh, a tip of the cap to jimmy butler But when you're talking about what Jamal Murray can do, Jamal Murray is a superstar, especially when it comes to the playoffs. And I love Butler. We were talking about that earlier. And they did it without Michael Porter really contributing again, just one of seven from the floor. Got 15 points on seven of eight shooting from Christian Brown. Um, Got more contributions from other players. But the two superstars were brilliant. And so congrats to the Nuggets as they take a a two-to-one lead with two to go on Miami. So that was uh that was big fun. And um next week when we visit, hopefully the series will be all done. We'll be talking about a parade or maybe the parade will have already taken place. Who knows? Don't want to get ahead of ourselves. But anyhow, it was a good night uh good night for the Nuggets. Really uh really enjoyed that and I know you guys did as well. Big thanks to uh to Dan Issel for jumping on with us and um 
We will do it again in one week. Go Nuggets, go. And hopefully the Rockies can rebound against the Giants and then the Padres over the weekend. Take care, everybody. Talk to you soon right here on the Drew Goodman Podcast. Tell your friends. Tell your friends.